Hello and welcome to the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast, brought to you as always by Lead Forensics. I'm your host, Joe Ducaro, and for this episode, Diary of a CEO, I sat down with CEO and co-founder of Lead Forensics, Paul Thomas. I wanted to know how Lead Forensics started and what kinds of characteristics it takes to be an effective CEO, and Paul absolutely delivered on my questions. If you've ever wondered what being a CEO is really like, here is a small window into that world. We talk mindset, the importance of goal setting, which Paul admits himself that he's obsessive about, and Paul even gives some book recommendations towards the end of the episode. So, without further ado, here is Paul Thomas on the B2B Sales Playbook Podcast. Let's just jump straight into it, shall we? Go for it. How did Lead Forensics start, and and where does your journey towards becoming a CEO begin? I think uh, from a very young age, I'd sort of been surrounded by sort of business and that sort of thing. So I kind of always knew it was a sort of direction I wanted to go. Where, where my sort of, I suppose, where the CEO or I suppose the entrepreneurial journey began um, was actually I started running parties, nightclub uh, sort of events, promoting it all over college and that sort of things. And that's kind of how we sort of started. I was a terrible DJ, but it was also the only way that I could kind of get a booking as a sort of DJ to actually run my own event. And then I was at school with Henry, who's my sort of co-founder. When we were about 21, started a company called Market Makers. It was a sort of marketing agency. What happened was we sort of stumbled upon this idea of, you know, we were always trying to generate more appointments for our customers. That was the big thing. And we just thought to ourselves, well, there's all this traffic coming to your clients' websites. And wouldn't it be incredible if we could try and identify who those businesses were? Because we were like, if we knew who those businesses were, then we could actually take that data, call it, email it, whatever it would be, and we'd generate a load more appointments. So I went to speak to our head of engineering at the time, who was sort of engineering everything for the marketing agency. I said, look, you know, got this idea. Guy was Chris. And anyway, thought no more of it. And then, you know, six months later, he came back and said, I think I've think I've cracked it he showed me and I was just like it blew my mind it really did and and I remember sort of going home and I, I just didn't sleep you know I just did not sleep because I was like that's a game changer and then we started using it for clients and it was really really very very successful for our clients so that business grew and as that grew Henry um, started to run the the agency part of the business market makers and then uh, a wonderful person called Kirsty was running really B2B. Uh, and then I then started spending more and more of my time in lead forensics. And I suppose then, as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> so in the, those those early days of setting up, you know, market makers then into lead forensics, then what, what were the some of the biggest challenges you had in those, you know, the, the early days? There's a sort of term called bootstrapping. And so bootstrapping is where uh, it's it's a bit rarer these days because we're in these sort of days now of everyone taking money from angel investors, uh, private equity businesses, venture capital, whatever it might be, friends and family. Uh, but we we always funded it sort of ourselves. We so uh, sort of Henry and I put in the sort of seed money uh, to get the business going, and then we then used the success of the business in effect to continue to sort of fund fund the growth so so the biggest challenge was money because we didn't go we didn't go to do a friends and family round we didn't go and get an angel investor and it was really really tough we were really struggling with cash flow you know we had situations where client payments didn't come in we couldn't make VAT payments you know and the one person you don't mess around with is the government right they want their money and 
So then what ends up happening is the government go, well, you didn't make your VAT payment, uh, so we're going to fine you. And it's like, oh, that's great. Uh, we couldn't afford to pay VAT, and now we've got to pay VAT and the fine. So so anyway, we got on top of it. We managed to ride it and get get over that sort of hump. But, but money, money was always the thing, Joe. And it, it, But what it did is it really kind of gave us a very, you know, we were, we've always been very strict about money. You know, we've always been very careful. And even to this day, you know, I'm not by any means the highest paid person in the business. You know, I'm, you know, I, I probably sit mid, mid-level basically. And it's just because you always remember, you know, cash is king, got cash you're good so we've always just tried to be really careful with cash but but it gave us a really good discipline so i'd say that was the challenge it was always it was always money you know um i would say in the early days but then uh, presumably you wouldn't change that you wouldn't change that that happened paul because you probably learned you know substantial lessons from it i'm sure yeah yeah we definitely we definitely did joe and i think you know, in those early days, you've really got to kind of, it's, you know, you've really got to fight to survive. You know, you really, really do. And we were so tight on payroll sometimes, you know, there were times when we were selling our cars, right? We were like, because we were never not going to make payroll. You know, that was the thing for Henry and I, like, we were like, if people have worked for us, they're getting paid, mm. you know, and we took, always took it very seriously. So we paid, you know, we sold cars, you know, we would, we would sell other stuff just to make sure we could make payroll. And I remember one funny time is um, we got this check from a customer right the last minute. And Henry ran down the bank, (laughs) cashed the check and got cash out. And we ended up having to pay the team in cash. And they all thought it was wonderful. They were like, oh, we're paying cash. It's fantastic. (laughs) And, you know, we were like, oh, yeah, it's uh, it's great, isn't it? And we were just sweating. You know, it (laughs) it was that tight. But... But no, we, you know, and, and, and as we became more, you know, more successful and, and that sort of things, you know, we always made sure we were building up mm. a good bank account sort of balance. So, you know, we wouldn't run into, into that in the future. So we're, we're very sort of careful these days. And it's the balance, isn't it, Joe? You know, you want to grow fast. We absolutely want to do that. Um, and we're focused on that and we're focused on being a growing business. But also, it needs to make sense. You know, mm. there's no point having a really fast-growing business and just the business fundamentals don't make sense. Yeah, it's in no sense going astronomic, but, you know, you're having staff turning over, you know, every month. There's people swapping out and swapping out and swapping out, going on and going forward. So with, with that in mind then, how do you retain top talent? What qualities do you look for in new hires? Because this is, this is I think, it's a core at the heart of Lead Forensics is I feel like there is absolutely a culture of everybody feeling completely supported and like they're in the right place how do you foster that sort of culture yeah joe i think it's you know one of the things for me and henry and i think the team everybody in the business in fact it's it all starts with dna when you're recruiting it all starts with the dna you know that that's the thing we're going to interview for first always when it comes to sort of bringing people into the business whilst we like people to have you know confidence in themselves we also like people as much as possible to be humble you know we don't look for and i don't know if we can say this on a podcast but we just don't want assholes in the business you know we want people who want to support the team members you know they they want to grow themselves you know they're all in it for the business you know they they think about the customer they care about the customer so for me you know hiring and and, and getting great talent starts with dna 
And then the second thing I would say is there's certain roles in our organization where you absolutely need to make sure people have that experience, that skill set, etc. So for instance, our engineering team, you know, you need to make sure you're getting the best developers, you know, people in finance, you, you absolutely need people who know, know what they're sort of doing and have that experience. So, so our best hires, you know, some of the people who are just absolutely fantastic, you know, knockout in our organization just come through the ranks, you know, started in very junior roles and just been exceptional. So, so for me, it starts with DNA. And then the second thing is where, when you don't necessarily need that experience, always hire people at that kind of junior level and, and work their way up the organization. A former employer of mine once said, you can teach the skills, the technicalities yeah. of a job. You can't teach attitude. Right. So that you're absolutely right. It, it needs to be someone who effuses that, that enthusiasm and that aptitude for learning as well. I think that, that definitely you know means you're going to succeed in in a role, and then you know as you say, go up the ranks in lead forensics. Someone once said to me when I first started, you know, you decide how far your career goes here. Like we'll support you 100 percent of the way, but it's up to you ultimately how far up the chain you want to go. I suppose it's also the thing, Joe, of you know we want people, and you must have experienced it, and you know I've experienced it. You know, there's there's some people where you walk in somewhere and they light the room up. You know, it's, yeah. you love being around them. You love having a meeting with them. You, you might love going for dinner with those people. You know, they're, they're, that's the type of people we want in the business. Yeah. And then there's those other people, you know, and, and I sometimes say to some of the team here, like, you see them walking down the road and you are diving into a bush because you're just <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I feel emotionally drained <laughs> when I've spoken to this individual. <laughs> But what I'm saying is we look for those people who are really the radiators, you know, the people who radiate, you know, positive vibes and stuff will always happen. There will always be things going on. But but people who generally will tend to find the way through that will take a positive attitude towards it. And if you can get a team like that, you succeed. If you get a bunch of radiators, you will succeed. But unfortunately, if you get a you know, if you get a team of vacuums, you know, just mm. suck out the life of the room, you're you're dead. It's uh, it's what my mum refers to as, uh, you know, people are drains or radiators. You know, right. you either diffuse the warmth or you just take the drain. Obviously, being a CEO isn't all, you know, rainbows and pots of gold and everything. So, what what are some of the biggest misconceptions about being a CEO? Yeah, I, I would probably, in answer to that one, I'd probably sort of say some of the things that people don't think about being a CEO. So as an example, everything's your fault. Yeah. I bet, yeah. Everything's your fault. Because ultimately, no matter what happens in the organization, you know, if somebody hires the wrong person or somebody makes that wrong decision, ultimately it's your fault, you know, and you have to have that mentality, which is everything's my fault. Because one of the things in life is if you don't have the mentality that everything's your fault, well, there's nothing you can do about it. I think as a good CEO, you have to feel that everything is your fault because then it's in your your ability to do something about it. The other thing is there is no work-life balance. You know, some people possibly who listen to this who might be a CEO go, oh, I've got work-life balance and that sort of things. And they might do, and that might be because their business is well-established and that sort of things. But in the early days, there's no work-life balance. You know, you're the first guy in, first lady in. You know, and very often when everyone's going home to the families and that sort of thing, you're going to still be there. But there's no moaning about it. You can't complain about it, like, because you made that decision. So 
you're not a martyr. You know, you made that decision. So you've got to sort of do it. Um, I think the other thing is, um, you know, some people think, oh, yeah, CEO, you know, BCO, it's like golf, it's lunches. It's like, it's not, it's not that. Mm. It's, you know, number one, I'm terrible at golf. <laughs> but, but also like, you know, I don't want to be out of the office, you know, and some people will call me and say, hey, do you want to do a lunch? And I'm like, you know, well, why do we need to do a lunch? And they say, oh, we need to meet about something. I say, great, we'll come in the office and mm. let's, just, let's do it in 20 minutes. I don't need to sit down and have a lunch with you for sort of an hour and a half and all this sort of stuff. It's a real roller coaster. You know, it's the highs, it's the lows. You know, sometimes you're going to be really, really high. And sometimes it's just, it is just the low points. You know, you can go home at the end of the week and it has just been a disastrous week for whatever reason. And it's all on you. The final thing I'd say on that is, you know, that being a CEO is you're part of the team. You know, you are part of the team. And very often, I think some people think, you know, they get a managing director title or whatever they, they call themselves, and they just try and lord it over people, right? And it's like, no, 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 you totally haven't got this. Like, you are on the team. Everybody's mm. on the same team. And we're all, and everybody, like one of the sayings I try and have here is like, we're all as important as one another. We just do different jobs. But you just, just... The minute you see sort of like an MD or a director or something thinks they're more important than the other team members, it's just like, you know, they're just rotten individuals. Like, you know, you're on the team. I think it's probably, it speaks to the, you know, if somebody does get to that position and then that is their attitude to it, you realise, well, that was your end goal. You wanted to get to that position to be able to call yourself that position or whatever you know it's not that you want to do a good job of work you don't want to be part of the team i think there's a reason that your office is like smack bang in the middle of our of our floor isn't it so, you know you still maintain that you know absolutely one of one of the team members well i love so. people you know it's it's you know as you know we've got a kind of hybrid working environment but i come to the office every single day you know and because i just love being around the team members you know, I I never walk past somebody in the office without saying hello or checking in with them or seeing how they're doing or because I just I genuinely really enjoy being around the team. And because we have radiators in the business, you know, I get my I get a huge amount of energy like from the team, if that makes sense. So, you know, I, I just sort of, just, you know, just love being around the team. It's just I just nothing better for me. I want to ask you about, you mentioned, you know, being a CEO, being a roller coaster, and, you know, it's the the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. I want to ask you about the highest of the highs. What is the the single sort of best feeling, memory, emotion you have about being the CEO of Lead Forensics? Is there one? The highs are when you see team members really moving up through, you know, for instance, there's been people join our organization who, you know, very entry level, very junior. And then, you know, you go to their weddings six, seven years later, you know, and they've got this most incredible life that they've built for themselves because they've worked so hard and all that sort of things. You know, that's a huge high, I would sort of say, mm. you know, the the releasing new products and starting to get sales on new products and that sort of things. That's an incredible high, you know, seeing customers rave about products and oh you know we generated this success from using your products and you know it's been a real game changer i mean that is absolutely awesome 
you know, when I get uh, when I get the sort of emails into my inbox about customers saying how great someone, you know, how good a, a customer success manager has been or somebody in support or somebody in the organization, that's a sort of massive sort of high for me. And then when you kind of break those points, you know, when, when we first went through 10 million, you know, when we first went then through 15 million, when we went through 20 million, when we went through, and it's not, it's just because you just are feeling like we're building something successful, you know, mm. and we're, we're doing something that has purpose. So, so they're probably like, they're, they're the real sort of big wins, I think for me, you know, launching new products and getting success with them, scaling the organization, you know, seeing people really making something of themselves in the organization, you know, they're, they're the highs that that's, that's when you go, God, you know what, this is awesome. You know? <laughs> And what legacy do you hope to have as as the leader of Lead Forensics? How would you measure your success beyond the financial side of things? We mentioned, you know, going to team members' weddings and that sort of thing. Is there more of that sort of thing? I think it's really three things for me. So, so the first one is, like we've been talking about, it's like the team. You know, the ability to create an environment to allow people to, you know, scale their careers achieve what they want from a professional and, and a personal perspective. And I mean that very sincerely. That that for me is is very, very important. Uh, secondly is it's about the customers. Did we make the customer, you know, who wants to have a great big business and, you know, uh, what, what people will call a successful business, but actually you're not really helping the customer that much. You know, your product's mm. a bit, you know, it's not that great. It doesn't really make that much sort of difference. It's like, if we can really truly make a difference to our customers, you know, that's that for me is a great legacy. You know, did we help the did we help the economy? All that sort of stuff. And then the final thing is you'll know, Joe, you know, it's this it's this thing of all of those things are great, team, uh, you know, the customer, but actually it's how can we give back like a big mm. legacy for the business is uh is you know, we we're very active in terms of volunteering, you know, our goal is obviously 500 volunteering days this year, you know, get people out into the, into the local uh, sort of uh, area and, and volunteer, whether it be at schools, whether it be at uh, nursing, wherever it might be, you know, get people out there volunteering, making a difference. But then the other side of things is the, the, the schools that we support over in Zambia, you know, we, we've obviously got that big project on at the moment, building out classrooms, orphanages, all that sort of stuff. So, for me, you know, that is one of the biggest legacies we could have as an organization if we allowed, you know, through the success we have in this country to pay back to those places that haven't, you know, you're born into England, mm. right? In the lottery. Yeah, you've won already. Yeah. So for me, you know, in the schooling, you know, free education and, you know, you, you spend a bit of time down in some of these developing countries, you know. So for me, it's like, how can we, in effect, have a business here which is successful and helps its customers and you know really helps the team but then how do we then take the you know the success and help those people uh, not just as an organization but as a team you know it's mm. all about the team as well don't forget like the team is doing the fundraising and all that sort of stuff and that for me is probably the biggest legacy that we can leave if we are able to educate children and you know put these orphanages in put the health centers in and that sort of things like that's that's the big win right 
You're absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, obviously we, there was a team that went out to. There's a team that goes out every year to the the Apollo Christian School, isn't there? And when they came back with the the pictures and the stories and the videos of like the work they'd done and the reaction of the the kids who are benefiting from all the the things that we're putting in place, it's a real perspective check, isn't it? Because while we're here, like fussing and stressing and worrying about you know tech and all that sort of thing there are far greater problems for these people over there so if we could do something that can you know just to help them out in any way i feel like that it's an obligation that we should so i i do really appreciate that that is at the core of you know something you want to leave behind but also that lead forensics is doing it it speaks to um you mentioned a, a couple of times and i think it's come through in our conversation about humility and you like to see that people stay humble within lead forensics and i think you you managed to retain that personality trait with you from you know when you started out djing and running a music magazine to being ceo of lead forensics do you think that's fair i just see everybody on the same level you know and just you know everybody in our organization as an example works so hard you know and again you know people go on podcasts they see this thing but like i genuinely feel this like they work so hard right no one's more important than anybody else like Mm. the the only thing i would say is i do think there are people in our organization more important that that you know sometimes than others and that that'd be those people who really put the graft in and really kind of care about the customer and really you know if you had someone and i don't believe we have those people but if you had those people that just didn't care about the customer, didn't want to put the great days graft in, you know, didn't want to really help drive the business, then they're probably not as important as those people who really do that. I certainly hope I would never get full of myself, you know, and if I ever did, you know, people would have absolute authority <laughs> to come and, you know, give me a good slap around the face and give me a good shake type thing. And really, honestly, you know, yeah, we'll uh, let you know, don't worry. HR would not step in. You know, <laughs> I'd, I'd hope HR, the people the division, would be the ones giving me a shake and give me a slap down the face, basically. <laughs> let's um let's go back to that, you know, fresh face Paul who's who's starting to DJ running nights and uh, and bits and pieces. What what would be the piece of advice you'd go back to that, you know, eighteen, nineteen year old self and, and, and give? Yeah, I would say there's probably a couple of things I would sort of say. So, you know, again, Joe, you'll, um, you know, you'll know from sort of your time here, you know, be obsessive about goal setting, be obsessive about it. You know, you can, you can build the life you want, but you've got to know, got to know what that looks like. And you've got to kind of write it down and be clear about it. So that'd be number one, you know, be obsessive about goal setting. I'd probably say the other thing would be find great mentors. You know, if I think about, you know, what got me here, it was like I learned from people. Like mm. that, the, a lot of the plays I play now are not not unique plays. These are plays I got from other people. And so, what I would say is find great mentors, people that inspire you, great people. You know, and I've been very, very lucky, sort of over my years, to have had some incredible mentors and people who have really helped me. And there's been different people along different parts of my like my life and that sort of things. But great mentors, people who really inspire you and are great people to the core, uh, that would be something I would say to my 18-year-old self. I would also probably say, um, you know, work for great people. And again, because that's where you learn a lot. You mm. know, don't work for assholes. <laughs> um, you know, just being totally truthful about it. You know, yeah. you can learn a huge amount from great people. 
And um, so that that's some because that's where I you know when I when we when we failed in that um, publishing business, you know, we went and worked in an organization and I had the most incredible leader. So lucky. I learned so much from her. Do you know what I mean? It, it sort of set me up and there were other people in that organization. I learned a huge amount from. So work for great people. I would say that that's another big one. And then the final thing I would sort of say is, you know, personal development, personal development, like invest in yourself. It doesn't matter what happens in life. You know, if everything gets taken away from you, can't take away the time you've invested in personal development. And, and then this other thing I would say is, um, you know, and it's kind of a, a drum I beat a lot is, you know, look after the vessel, like look after the body, not to be morbid or anything. I, a very, very good friend of mine, I was recently at the sort of funeral of uh, someone very dear to him. And the vicar sort of talked about it and said, you know, the, the individual here in the, you know, it, that's just the vessel. Mm. That's just the vessel. The spirit, do you know what I mean, is in effect has gone. But it's, it's very fair. Like, for instance, this is just in effect. This is just our vehicle, right, for getting us through life. Mm. So it's like really take care of your vehicle because it's, it's, you know, if I said to you, Joe, you know, I've just bought you a car and it's a fabulous car, but it's the only car you're now going to have for the rest of your life. So if you don't look after that car, you know, you're not getting another one. You take great care of that car, right? So it's the same thing. So, so that'd be the other thing, again, is just, there'd be the things I'd say to my 18-year-old self and, and sort of uh, make, make sure I took it on board. I've got follow-up questions from what you've just said there. So with that in mind, I want to know, what is your current goal and who are the people who inspire you right now? Yeah, I would say the people that inspire me, I would say, for instance, so Henry who's my co-founder, I find him very inspirational from uh, just somebody who is just, in my opinion, just very pure and just very, just like one of those, you know, being, you know, I talk about surround yourself with great people. Mm-hmm. I'd be just was incredibly lucky. You know, I hit the, hit the jackpot, you know, when Henry and I met when we were sort of 13, he's just been like the most sensational friend and, you know, just couldn't have had, you know, a better person uh, to be sort of on the journey sort of with. So he he sort of inspires me in terms of, I look at how he is as an individual and I kind of almost try and set my bar to, to be, you know, just as forgiving as him and understanding as him and trusting as him. And, you know, I find him very inspiring. We've got a really good chairman for the business. I find him very inspiring. You know, he inspires me a lot, you know, in terms of what he's done and the advice and that sort of things. And then I find inspiration in like the books and that sort of things. Um, so, so I would say that, and then, so in answer your goal, the big goal is just about how we continue to sort of scale the organization. And it's so, so important because it's then exactly what we've been talking about. It's the opportunities for everybody, you know, for you, for every, it's like the be- the bigger you go, the more opportunities you have for people and the more exciting it is. Now everyone wants to, everyone wants to play on a winning team. No one wants to play on a sort of mid-level team. So, so the big goals for me really right now is, you know, how do we scale up the organization and how there's some, there's some particular metrics, as you know, LTV CAC ratio, which we talk a lot about. That's a real, like, how do we get the LTV CAC ratio up and up and up and up? You know, it's a big thing because it's your scorecard. It tells you how good a job you're doing for the customer tells you how good the team is, tells you everything about the business, your LTV CAC ratio. So 
that's the big goal, I would sort of say, and that they are some people I find right now to be very inspiring to me. You mentioned um, you, you take inspiration from, from books um, and bits and pieces as well. Are there any books you'd recommend to our audience at all? Let's go for the top three. What are your top three books that you've read? So one one would be um, sort of Atomic Habits. It's uh, by a guy, I think it's James Clear. That's so weird. I bought that this morning. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, it's, just, it's so good. It's so good. Not to steal the punchline or anything, but it's just like, Little and often, little and often, it's just compounding, and it's just it's just a great book, and I would just recommend everyone to read that. And there's another book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, and whenever I recommend it, people go, "Well, I, what, what, how to try and influence people and win?" And it's like, yeah, the kind of title is a little bit misleading, but it's just another great book about people and just how to best interact with people how to get the very best out of people, but not in a sort of um, manipulative way or anything like that. If you just want to lead a team or you just want to, you know, just want to be a good person, it's just a great book to read. And then there's another one, again, the, 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 it's an old book. It's slightly sort of misleading title, again, but it's, it's called uh, Think and Grow Rich. And again, it's not about getting rich. It's actually about, I suppose it should be more like thinking, have a rich life. It's, it's, it's much more about that. But again, it's a, it's a very old book. It's probably, I don't know, 50, 60 years old now, but it's just a cracker. So, so that would probably be sort of another book I would recommend. Paul, I always like to end my podcast with a, an actionable tip or, or takeaway for our audience here. So what I'm going to ask you for is what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs who are just starting out now? What's the one, the one key thing that they have to absolutely get right in order to succeed? If it was like one thing, it's like grit, right? It's true grit. It is going to be absolutely brutal. <laughs> it's just the way that it's just it it's just it is going to be brutal and are you mentally prepared for it i've got a saying um which actually i heard from a, from bill clinton from an interview i listened to him and he sort of said we had this saying in our household which was the game will be over soon enough you play to the whistle you know, you never let your head go, no matter what the score is. You keep going until the whistle blows. You can stop when the whistle blows, but you do not stop until the whistle blows. And that is the mentality you have to have, you know, for aspiring entrepreneurs. It's like, it is going to be, you are going to have the lowest of lows. Like, it is going to be brutal. You are going to need to potentially sell a car. You are potentially not going to be able to make a mortgage payment. You are possibly going to have to sell your house you are potentially going to lose money and some people some people are honest with themselves and like i don't want to do that and it's like there's nothing wrong with that but if you're going to do it it is not milk and honey right mm. it is brutal and you've just got to have that true grit and determination and if you find you know you let your head go if you know your sports team goes down or something doesn't go in your direction you let your head go it's like don't be an entrepreneur, right? Because you will, you will just have the worst time. It's, it's all or nothing. <laughs> right, exactly. 
Paul Thomas, thank you so much for joining me on the B2B Sales Playbook. Great to see you. Thanks, Joe. Well, there we go. Paul Thomas there joining me for the B2B Sales Playbook podcast. Here are our key lessons from Paul. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, you absolutely need to commit and show true grit in the face of challenging times. Develop a team-first mentality and ensure that every team member has a voice in the organization. Focus on creating positive impact on the team, your customers, and your community. Hire people with complementary skills and experience to build a strong and diverse team. Prioritize self-care and set aside time for physical activity and rest. Read books on personal development and seek advice from mentors and other successful leaders. Thanks very much to Paul for joining me and thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to the B2B Sales Playbook podcast wherever you get your pods and leave a five-star rating where possible. We'll be back again next week with another brilliant B2B Sales Playbook podcast.